1: I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Elizabeth Alfano, welcome to the Eat for the Planet podcast.
2: So happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for being on and uh, thank you for taking the time today to have this conversation. I am uh, very excited to hear about this new venture that you're on called VegTech. Um, so why don't we just start there and then we'll see where this conversation goes because one thing i got to keep in mind today is there's probably far too much we can talk about. Um, But I want to make sure we give VegTech uh, the justice it deserves and then we can uh, take this conversation perhaps into other places uh, because I know you share a lot of the same passions that I do and that usually leads to an amazing conversation. (laughs)
2: Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And uh, before I kick in, I'll just say thank you for all you do. You do so much. And I am deeply grateful this podcast and then um, what you're doing uh, with Plantega and just, you know, you're moving the needle. So thank you for that. Um, so we both do podcasts. I have a podcast called the Plant-Based Business Hour, which you'll be on in a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, so many people were coming to me on the Plant-Based Business Hour and saying, gosh, how can I, you know, I can't do venture capital. That's a hundred thousand dollars you have to do it at least 20 times to have a distribution that's, you know, uh, going to balance out for one of them to kick in. So I can't do that, but you know, I'd like to do the public markets. What should I invest in? And I thought, well, I'm certainly not going to tell you what to invest in. But at the same time, I had been keeping my own list up and down the supply chain of those companies innovating with plants and plant-derived ingredients to create animal replacements for sustainable consumption. So we all think about beyond Obviously, that's not enough to really invest in and have a diversified diversified portfolio. So I was keeping a much longer list, again, as I say, up and down the supply chain. And so the more people who reached out to me and said, like, help, you know, I can't do venture, but I want to partake. I'm, I'm the person who's, you know, 26 years old and actually going through the drive-through at KFC and getting the nuggets, which, you know, like, I haven't been to KFC in, like, you know, three decades. I mean, like I don't I don't go to KFC, sort of Beyond Meat or not. I mean, I'll do it once for Beyond Meat. But, you know, so these folks were really driving consumption. I wanted to give them something. And so the more and more I got this request, the more and more I uh, decided to team up with my partner, Dr. Sasha Goodman, did his PhD at Stanford in mathematics, mathematics time series analysis. He's he's our number cruncher extraordinaire, if you will. And uh, he's a Glasswall Syndicate member. And so we had become friends and I realized he was also keeping a list of all these companies that he was investing in on the public markets, as was I. And so we thought, well, wait a minute, we're onto something here. There's a complete white space. There's, you know, we in the bubble, we know about the connection between our food supply system and the environment. But outside the bubble, at least on Wall Street, they don't know In fact, recently someone said to me, oh, my gosh, you know, you should speak at my summit because climate change is really impacting our food availability. And I was like, well, no, actually animal agriculture is impacting climate change which is impacting food availability. So, you know, the the, the whole conversation is still yet to be had with that very large market that has a lot of money. So we thought we really need to take this message to Wall Street. We need to give these younger investors something to, you know, partake in so that they too can be a part of the growth. We need to drive capital to these innovative companies that are replacing animals. And uh, there you have it. We decided to create VegTech, plant-based innovation and climate ET. ETF which is now a publicly traded ETF in the global markets.
1: And for those listening that don't know what an ETF is, can you briefly explain that?
2: Sure thing. I'll say it's sort of like one-stop shopping. So the great thing about an ETF is that it is a diversified portfolio. So for example, we have 40 companies. So you get to diversify, in other words, mitigate your risk against these 40 companies, all of them with the same thesis or mission, uh, theme of replacing animals in the supply chain for sustainable consumption all around plant-based innovation and technology. So you can go to one ETF, that's tech, plant-based innovation and climate ETF, the ticker is e v You go one place and you get diversified exposure to this mission or theme that is important to you.
1: And it's, you know, I think most people who uh, have been following the space and I've seen Beyond Meat's um, IPO and the initial rise of their stock. And and then Oatly um, probably think there's only a handful of companies, maybe five, that are public in the space. And so I think that's really the first um, most likely misconception out there. And is it because maybe there are only five or so listed in the U.S. stock exchanges and perhaps there's a lot more going on globally? So I guess my question really is, what is the scope over here? Like how many companies are we talking about and and, and what kind of companies and what kind of businesses are they in?
2: Yeah, I love this question. Um, so first of all, I want to say, Neither you nor I are telling people what to invest in. Everyone needs to research things for themselves. I'm thinking about compliance here. you know. So please go to eatv.vegtechinvest.com. They'll, you'll find the prospectus. You'll get to look up everything. I want everyone to be knowledgeable and researched. And, of course, everybody makes their own decisions for themselves. That said... What we're doing is we're investing up and down the supply chain. So yes, it's CPG. It's Oatly. It's very good butchers, very good food company. It's Vita Soy, It's um, Beyond Meat. So yes, we are a global fund and very hard to invest, let's say, in Hong Kong or the London Stock Exchange. So that's kind of an added bonus with this one-stop shop. You can do that. Whereas if you had to do, you know, Hong Kong stock exchange on your own, that'd be really cumbersome. But so it's a global fund, but it's up and down the supply chain. So yes, it's CPG, but it's also ingredient companies. It's technology, research, innovation companies. It's also material companies. So of course we think about, hey, plant-based innovation, it's going to be food. But there's a lot of material companies coming to the public markets, which is exciting. Things like Olaplex and Elf Beauty, these companies that are dead Dedicated to being animal free and doing really innovative stuff in the body care um, realm. And then, of course, we have ag tech companies. So, companies that like green vertical farming and greenhouses. So, they're using less land, less water, they're also using less manure. Manure is an animal product, you know. So there, there are these companies that are really fostering the growth, the efficient growth of vegetables. So when you look at that whole supply chain for us, we've got forty companies, and you know, really, if you wanted to look larger than that, you could say, well, there's probably like sixty companies. But of course, you have to be a well-run company. So we don't just take anyone because they're plant-based. Then you're you're looking at business fundamentals, etc. But it is global, forty companies screened for business fundamentals, uh, and definitely screened for our theme. And uh, when you look at it that way, then you really have a robust ETF and there's something you can get behind. And I'll just say, you know, we're excited because we are the first and only ETF that is not only making that connection between our food supply system and the environment, but the only ETF that is actually replacing animals from the system.
1: And how do you – what's your theme? So what is the criteria? I'm assuming you just don't take any company that's – creating a product that is free of uh, animal ingredients because if that's the theme i'm assuming you'll end up being too wide and you'll start including things that are actually not making a difference so what what do you look for in these companies what maybe give me some examples of what would make a company qualify um, and what would make a company um, not meet your standards which would make them ineligible to be added
2: Yeah. A hundred percent. Great question. So sure. You know, you could look at Microsoft or Google and say like, well, gosh, you know, they don't have animal products, but, that's like a default accident. No, we're actually looking at companies that are replacing animal products. So it's not just that they don't have them, it's that they're actively innovating to replace animal products. So again, you'll look at something like Elf Beauty, which is looking at replacing like animal oils in their makeups with a plant-based oil and, and the innovation behind that. We do have a cultivated meat company. We do have a two fermented protein companies, so fermented pre- precision fermentation um so and then of course lots of ingredient companies that are really focusing on taking those novel ingredients you know we all know about monocrop well maybe we know about monocropping so the overcropping of corn wheat soy Why do we overcrop these things? Because we give them to animals. So these companies that are doing novel ingredients like barley, let's say, and trying to diversify not only our farming techniques, but also focus on the alternative protein that can come from barley rather than giving it to animal feed. Um, I love animals, so I never really refer to animals as food. But what the heck, folks? Why are we giving food to food? If you want to feed people, give food that has protein and fiber directly to food so it's to, directly to people so you know it's great to see those ingredient companies as well innovating for animal replacements and and they do this sometimes they do this for animal welfare Lots of times they don't. Lots of times they just do it because the current business equation of animal agriculture is a bad one. It's wasteful. It's inefficient. It takes time. It uses too much land, too much water, leading cause of deforestation. Obviously, we all know about the climate impacts. It's just a bad business equation. So, you know, if you're a business person, you maybe get the human health, animal health, planetary health, Or maybe you just look at the bottom line. But whatever your reason being, you have to be replacing.
1: And in terms of who this is targeted towards, uh, I mean, who do you think is an ideal uh, investor who might be interested in the space? Uh, You gave the example earlier of someone maybe who's just getting into investing, perhaps is not sure where to find the companies that align with their values, where they need to put some of their money into. Um, that could be one, but who else are you trying to, and I know you're not, there are some rules around how you can promote this and advertise this, but in your mind, what, who's, who's, what problem, I guess we understand the problem that's being solved, but who is it for really?
2: Yes. Okay. Well, we always like to say, if you are a human on the planet, then this is for you. So, you know, obviously if you care about the, the planet, then you'd probably like your, water to be clean and, and to have enough air, you know, deforestation, you're cutting down those trees, those trees pull carbon. So we need that if we're to address climate, climate change, but instead we we pull them down. But you know, trees also produce oxygen, right? So if you care about your basic necessities on the planet, uh, then you care about this. But you might get in, oh, 3% of your portfolio, let's say. Now, if you are thinking about your kids and your next generation, maybe your kids are already following a plant based diet, but even so, you don't want them to have hardship in the decades to come. Then maybe you get in more. You get in five, six, 7% of your portfolio because it's meaningful for you to leave a legacy. And then if you are someone who has been waiting for this kind of product for a very long time, like all those people who emailed me on the plant based business hour, then maybe you get in 10, 12% of your portfolio. Nobody would ever recommend that you go all in 100%. That's not what we're saying. But if these are the values that you want to see transpire in the universe, then you got to put your dollars and your voice behind these things. So these are the kind of tiers that we think about when we think about investors. When you think about ESG, so environment, social, and government governance, investors, these are generally speaking, I'll just use the umbrella term. Impact investors. So anybody who's looking at making a change with their dollars, with aligning their values with their dollars, then this is for them.
1: And what is the impact you're hoping to have with it? Uh, I'm assuming you know the reason I ask that question is, um, are, you know, you're very, you've been very involved with. Um, the plant-based food space, the trends in new technologies like, as you mentioned earlier, precision fermentation, cultivated meat. Um, you've been hosting a podcast for a few years now, um, and have been working with companies directly. I'm assuming out of you, you probably come across numerous interesting uh, entrepreneurial. You're also an investor yourself, so you come across numerous interesting ideas all the time, and. And I guess my I'm trying to get to why did you choose this as a project to embark on um, versus other options that probably come across you in the course of your your daily work in this space. So yeah, what was the reasoning and and why why put your time and energy to try to tackle this problem? Because of course this is not an easy thing to pull together and launch and run. So um, tell me why this spoke to you personally. Uh, as the next project you were going to spend time on,
2: well, <clears throat> so much of what I do is in the bubble, so to speak. so I, I feel like you know I help a lot of vegan companies. I have a lot of plant-based companies. i I do a podcast interviewing a lot of plant-based individuals, plant-based thought leaders. I wanted to step outside the bubble and really make an impact where impact was really needed to people who didn't have the memo. So I look at such a large sector like the capital markets, then I really wanted to bring that message to them. And then again, you know, I I also wanted to empower those who are really driving consumption of plant-based goods. I wanted to give them an opportunity to invest and take and partake in the growth. And then, you know, We think of the venture capital timeline, if you will. So you've got a startup and then uh, there are venture investors and then hopefully they IPO, they go on the public markets and what? Yes, Beyond Meat had a huge impact in 2019 and wow, have analysts slammed them. They have been waiting for the moment to like bring them through, you know, put them through the ringer. So They don't really understand the impact that Beyond Meat is making. And so I I think we have to develop the public markets. On this subject, as much as we've developed the private markets. So, so many people, many who aren't mission aligned, by the way, you know, corporate uh, venture capital funds are really getting into alternative proteins, plant-based. You know, I don't know that they care so much either way, but they've gotten the memo. Financial world really has not. So, um, you know, if we're to develop the next stage of the venture timeline, if you will, the IPO, you know, I was talking to Josh Tetrick about this. You have to have a developed market that will receive that IPO well. Again, you look how Oatly was slammed. I'm not making a comment either way on if if any if there was any merit to that. I'm not, I'm not weighing in on that, but I'm saying people were ready to slam it. So you know the the market, the public markets weren't really developed for plant based messaging, plant based vision, plant based reason for being for our climate, and we're trying to do that.
1: And also, you know, part of the challenge is maybe we don't, some of us in the bubble, so to speak, don't necessarily acknowledge this because we we may have been at it for the last 5, 10, whatever. Some, in some cases, some people have been focused on this for 20 years. Uh, maybe we don't see the fact that we are sort of at very early stages of um, this mass shift. Um, you know, when I speak to folks, outside of um, the space who have not spent as much time and as energy as you or I have over the last decade or so thinking about these issues, seeing companies like Beyond Meat come out of nowhere and next thing become the darlings and then being, you know, the ones everyone wants to bash. Um, they don't necessarily... They, they, people from the outside who are just noticing the space look at it as sort of like we're in the. if this was a baseball game we'd be at the bottom of the third inning maybe. Um, or at best, I mean, Definitely, maybe even, yeah, <laughs> yeah so um, I do think that it's super early. And I think for that reason, it, um, maybe we don't completely, I think it's very tricky for people to try to understand uh, where to put their money, right? And it's, it's a question of risk at the end of the day when you're investing money. Now, venture capitalists or even angel investors, they approach investments using a completely different thesis, uh, what's starting to also happen now, and I guess this this is the reason I'm bringing up this issue is because, uh, would you say that this is a and this may be a tricky question to answer, but would you say that an ETF is a less risky investment for someone who is uh, who wants to dabble in the plant based and or animal free economy? Versus, say, going on a platform like uh, Republic or a few others that now exist where you can um, you, you can put in a little money and then that eventually converts into equity in an early stage, usually an early stage startup. To me, the yeah, so I guess one is not the other. Uh, one is in the public market that most likely those companies have already proven themselves to a certain extent both are not free of risk but the risk calculation is slightly different. So, yeah, what's your what's your yeah, what's your response to that?
2: The risk calculation is enormous actually. So, even if you look at something like Republic, they're going to have like a 2 in 20 model, I believe. So, you know, it's actually quite expensive to get into their venture funnel, I guess I'll call it, and then, you know, the likelihood that these companies make it is very low. And so it's – I don't want to say misrepresented by the press, but, you know, if you look at the vegan press, you're like, oh, my gosh, Wild Type, you know, got so much money and um, Perfect Day got so much money and you look at these enormous numbers and you think, well, everyone's getting into it. I need to get into it. I mean, most of them will fail and there's so much competition now coming to the market. I am not saying, by the way, that wild type will fail and I am not saying the perfect day will fail. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you look at how many venture companies come to market, very risky, particularly the earlier stage that you get in. So if you're getting in, you know, in a seed round, it's very hard to get in like a C series, you know, series C because it's so much more expensive. So I'm not sure people really understand the risk, but most venture capital you know, you've got 19 failures for one really through the roof success. So you have to really diversify there. That becomes very expensive. And most people can't do that if they're dabbling a little bit here and there with Republic. Now, on the public markets, you know, the stock exchange, all of those companies have already been vetted. So they've already made it through the IPO process. And it's much less expensive to be a part of that when you look at, you know, the um, expense ratio for these different funds. I mean, it's, you know, 0.75, you know, three-quarters of 1%, let's say, to get into an ETF, as opposed to like two and 20% on a venture capital. So the venture capital is just so much more risky and um yeah, it's not for the faint of heart, let's say. So for the people who don't know about plant-based, but they're interested and they they want to dabble, but they don't want to go all in, an ETF is a great way. In addition, I'll say our um, sector is at a very interesting timeline. You bring up baseball, like we said, bottom of the second or maybe bottom of the third. Um, You know, I think about semiconductors and how that secular trend went in the public markets. And I think about robotics and how that went. And I see the beginning signs for plant based to go the same way as this secular trend. So, what do we mean by secular trend? It means it affects everybody, like digitization. Doesn't matter if you're old or young, or um, you live in the United States or you're in Argentina, you have a computer, you've got a cell phone, and you have, Gone through that adoption curve, and you now use a cell phone. And that's what plant based is going to be like. We all know that. We're all going to be eating plant based options. You look in bodegas in New York and you have, you know, great sandwiches from Plantega. So we all know in the smaller corners of the world, it's going to reach to everybody. So it's a secular trend. And not only are the companies I don't know if I can say better vetted, but more vetted than venture where it's a little bit of like, let's throw spaghetti and see how it lands at the wall. Um, so they're vetted companies, but also the timing is great if you are an investor who likes to ride secular trends. Again, I'm not telling anybody how to invest, yeah. when or why to invest, but you know this is a very good time, I think, to catch the secular trend. Will it be tomorrow? Probably not six months, mm, I don't know. But if you're looking at, you know, a year, two year, three years, I I believe, this is just me, not you all, yeah. this is me, I think we're looking at a secular trend here.
1: Yeah, I love the point that you brought up about secular trend, because that is um, the timing of the investment and the, the risk factors are the two things that people need to keep in mind. If you like, again, if you pay attention to the to the news, uh, depends what news you consume, obviously, uh, I, I, and this is why. Uh, this is a bit of a side note, but I, you brought it up too about the, the the news about funding rounds. I always get uncomfortable when people celebrate like funding rounds as if it was an achievement. I mean, yes, it is an achievement to a certain extent, but it is um, it is only that maybe someone believes that you have your your you have a decent enough chance to put a bet on you and so if you raise a hundred million dollars it doesn't mean f- certainly that you know that that hundred million is going to turn into the next unicorn like of course the investors are hoping that it does but they're also putting money into five to ten other companies um and they know not all of them are going to reach the promised land and become the next um, blockbuster ipo or acquisition right so i do think that on one hand uh Some of the recent success has actually been misinterpreted as if everything's moving so fast, I don't want to miss out on this, people are getting rich with uh, with, with these companies getting acquired or going public, how do I jump into the trend? And then you can see the natural inclination is maybe I need to go early in and put in some money through Republic or some of these other platforms. Those are still pretty risky bets, even if you're putting a small amount of money. On the other hand, and and back to the point about a secular trend, it reminds me of what I like. is just a previous episode of the podcast that uh, I just released with David Young from Green Monday and Omni Foods. He said something uh, when I, you know, we were talking about the impact of uh, the ups and downs in the market right now, and every you know some naysayers out there saying this is the this is a sign that the future is not plant-based. Uh, it's it seems like Beyond Stock is it's not going to rally. Uh, analysts are predicting this is all going to go south. His response to all of that, and I think it kind of it, it's a, it 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 really goes along well with what you were just saying about the secular trend, is that his macro response was: Can the world endlessly support and and grow li- like have livestock? Can we endlessly create a system? Uh, that supports and raises more livestock? And the answer is no. And if the answer is no, you know something has to replace it. And that's what this is, basically.
2: Yeah, 100%. So much to unpack there. I just did an interview right before this with the New York Stock Exchange, and I was explaining the same thing, that bad equation that is animal agriculture. Right now, we use 77% of our agricultural land to graze and feed animals to get 18% of our calories back. Now, we're going to grow the population globally, according to the United Nations, from about 7.7 billion to about 10 billion. So you're going to grow about 25 or 30%. So what are you going to do if you need more land? You're already using 77% to get 18% of the calories. Now you're going to grow that 30%. You're going to run out of land and you still need like 80% of your calories. It's not. It doesn't work. Obviously, I'm just underscoring what you're saying with a couple of stats from um, ourworlddata.org. You can go look at that yourself. So what those analysts, this is why I say it's so important for us to bring the plant-based message to Wall Street, who doesn't know these numbers, doesn't understand the correlation between our food supply and the environment. These analysts are looking at things so short-sighted, as they tend to do, not realizing the business fundamentals for disruption. And we will see full-scale disruption of animal agriculture because it doesn't work. So, you know, one might argue served us well in the past. That argument wouldn't come from me, but others might make that argument and I would get it. Okay. 4,000 years ago when animal husbandry started, fine. Maybe even a hundred years ago, but does not serve us now, which is why I no longer use a typewriter Do I make this big like, oh my God, but my grandmother typed on a typewriter. Oh my God, like I can't give it up. No, it doesn't serve me anymore. So I don't type on a typewriter. I don't want to buy whiteout either. I mean, I use something called a computer and we're all going to shift to plant-based foods because it serves us to do that. If you'd like to live on the planet and your kids as well, and this is not hyperbole either. You know, Um, when you look at... Cows alone produce 37% of the humanly induced methane gases, so as a result of human activity. Cows produce 37% of methane on the planet, methane being the most impactful of the greenhouse gases. I mean, you know, if you'd if you like future life on the planet, it's just not going to work. So I agree with what David's saying, of course, uh, but I'll also say something that's um, – I don't want to say scary in venture right now, but I'm a little concerned that we're, you know, if Beyond Meat had its bubble in the stock market and now there's like a leveling of things that has gone, in my opinion, you all invest as you see fit, has gone too far to the other extreme. I think you're going to see that in venture as well. I look at these valuations and they're crazy. I look at the hype, like you were saying, if you watch the press, you think like, oh my God, someone raised money, therefore... They have successfully exited. They are not one in the same. Just because you raise money doesn't mean you have a successful company. Just means people either really believe in you or have extra money at the time. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's not necessarily proof of success. So I think we're in a little bit of a venture bubble.
1: Yeah, and I and a lot of uh, uh, I think a lot of folks who are now tracking the trends in uh, startups and venture capital in this space have not necessarily come from that background of experience that before. And for me, I mean, I, I laugh about it but, and I kind of make light of it because I worked in, I spent a decade in, in media and in technology before I got involved in food. And it reminds, when the whole frenzy started in the last few years in the plant-based food space with with startups and insane valuations. Um, it reminded me of like the late 20, you know, the early aughts and the mid to late aughts where it was, uh, where the iPhone came out and then there was this whole app madness. It was like any any company was creating an app and raising money for it. It felt like Everything was going to be an app now, right? And which is some—it is proven to be sort of true, but not. All. I mean, apps have not replaced everything. You, you, you know, it's just one trend, and some apps have become the apps you use, and most of the others are forgotten. Um, it kind of reminds me of that phase of of comparing it to technology, where. You see one thing, and you assume like everything is going to be that one thing now. When there's a there's a lot more going on. And I I think there's a there's a flip side. There's another part part of the plant based and you know sort of um, cultivated meat, all all the food tech stuff that's going on right now. It's not only that. You know, we can we compare it a lot to like technological innovation. We talk about how we don't use the typewriter; we don't. We all use iPhones or smartphones these days, and we all use Instagram, and we just act like these things have been around forever. When, when, most of them have just been around for ten, twelve years, maybe. There's another factor in food, which is, let's assume that those trends don't turn out to be true. The alternative is what is that people just don't get enough food that we um even if you don't care about the environment just from a practical standpoint we've reached our limits really on how um existing the incumbent industries can grow so it's sort of a you don't have to be a genius to see this has to happen now it's a question of who's going to win and lose in this process and of course that that really depends on numerous factors that are beyond our control
2: yeah I, i love what you say there um we have reached our capacity and also there's no more innovation left to be done on animal agriculture, you know, and, and in fact, perhaps I take that back. The next stage of innovation for animal agriculture is cultivated meat and fermented proteins, you know, taking the inefficiency out of the equation. So take the animal out of the equation, you get a lot more efficient results and then you have the meat that you want. So the next progression of animal agriculture actually is cultivated meat, I, I think. Um, but once you know that, and so you're all in, let's say, again, and we're talking about these corporate venture funds, and they've got a lot of money to spend, and, you know, they're they're seeing opportunity here as investors, and so they should. Um, there's a little bit of, like, crazy money out there, like, throwing down money for, I mean, I'm starting to see founder presentations that aren't together the founders not that sure of their own deck i mean i'm starting starting to see a little bit of sloppiness both on the part of the investor as well as on the part of the founder and so that always gives me reason for pause
1: yeah, yeah that's right i mean i also feel like um you know we'll see i think in the next 5 to 10 years some of this it'll go through a natural correction it happens in all industries i think the the challenge is also depends who you talk to because if you talk to people outside the bubble, um, they, they're they not phased by any of these ups and downs because no. that's just natural and normal. And they're looking at this trend sort of disconnected from uh, any, you know, strong personal feelings about it. It's mostly, it's it's just a investment trend versus I think when it's within the bubble, everyone's so personally attached to it one yes. way or the other, where we tend to get very emotional about a little stock price going down or up or someone saying something bad about any one company because of their quarterly earnings.
2: Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And and I feel that too. But what I see out there is again, I'll just use the example of the analysts because they're so vocal and visible about, you know, how they're, they're not getting it. Um, they seem to think that plant-based was a choice by a small few that caught on with a younger generation as something they would try and that now that has passed. They're not seeing the much larger conversation, which is what David and I are talking about, in that the math just doesn't work to feed a growing population with fewer resources. So as climate change increases, we actually have less arable land. I talked to you about the 77% of our land wasted on animal agriculture, really, because it only gives us 18% of our calories back. What a waste. What a bad equation. Um, you're going to actually have less farmable land with climate change. So in a world where we need to produce more food that is more nutritious with fewer resources in a small, shorter amount of time that travels fewer distances, animal agriculture can't do that. It, it just can't do that. So th- what David and I are saying, or at least I'm saying is, you know, Okay, so you think we don't have plant-based options? It was a fad; it's going away. Well, then, what else have you got? What have you got to solve this equation of feeding the world? Because right now, I don't see anything except us.
1: That's true, um, and you know, and 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 I guess it's uh, it's it's tricky because food is a a bit of a complicated issue, right? And and I think I'm trying to see all sides of the argument here because yeah. mm-hmm. if you if you uh, and I and I I think it's useful to do that because then you can find where maybe there's areas for improvement on our side of the argument um, as well. Yeah, and and I think some people look at food as being so intrinsically tied to culture and tradition and all that stuff, which is true. I mean, no one's denying that. Um, versus, you know, the typewriter or yeah, you can say mm-hmm. the typewriter had some cultural relevance, and the landline maybe did. But not really. I mean, I don't think anyone truly got mad when they were taken away. Maybe some people did. Um, and so I think we need to keep that in mind. But I also think at the same time, um, the solutions that most companies are working on, there's no reason why it can't fit within cultural context. I mean, I don't think anyone, I think we all sort of know this, that no one eats um um, meat because it comes from an animal, they just eat meat. Mm. <laughs> and it doesn't matter where it comes from. And w- the moment we are able to change that cultural mindset, which, it, which will take time, I'm sure, um, it won't matter as long as it tastes the same, it, it functions yeah. the same way, and it costs the same.
2: I mean, I I see the cultural relevance, of course, a hundred percent. I too have you know rituals from my family. I come from a Sicilian background. You know, food is everything. I, I see the importance of culture, but what I notice is that people do what is easiest and best for them, and they do that first. Then they hold on to history, culture, etc. So as meat becomes more expensive, and it will, you see inflation right now on meat um, because it's taxing our resources and we're not getting more land and we're not getting more water. So, you know, those resources are, are finite. So those costs go up, it becomes inconvenient. And when you can have a replacement that is more convenient, I don't know that the cultural argument plays the great role that it plays now because ultimately people want to do what is easy, what doesn't take a lot of thought, what gets, you know, imagine the mother of three who's, you know, single mother and, you know, I just have to get food on the table. I can't be chatting about this with you, <laughs> you know? So they just have to like move fast and like make it work. I just think people will do what's best for them and that's going to be cultivated meat fermented proteins and plant-based.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's bring the conversation back to uh, VegTech now. Um, How is it going so far? And let's talk more about your experience launching this, um, getting it off the ground. Um, How how has it impacted your time and the work you're doing? Uh, As you know, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, and as much as we talk about the problems facing the world and how their businesses are... Trying to solve those problems, um, you very much can't ignore the fact that these are people doing these things, and mm-hmm. we all have our own uh, journey through these uh, ups and downs of even starting a new venture and uh, uh, getting people to understand what it is, which is what you're doing today, and then hopefully seeing it succeed uh, and watch and watching it thrive. So, how's the experience been so far? What 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 can you share with us?
2: Yes. I will say that this is a highly regulated area. so I don't think um, I mean I knew that I'd be jumping through a lot of I'll call them bureaucratic hoops, but really it's regulation and for good good reason, we need to um, you know, be careful about this sector. So with that in mind, I will say, and hopefully I already said this, but if I didn't let me say it here, it's very important to me that everyone read the prospectus, educate yourself before you invest. You can find information at eatv.vegtechinvest.com. Of course, I want you to go to the website, but more than anything, I want you to find the information there so that you can read it yourself. You always should know and read before you invest. Uh, That said, um, a highly regulated area, but I think what's been the most interesting and the most rewarding for me is that I really am – you know, I I do the Plant-Based Business Hour. I'm a public speaker. I recently spoke at the United Nations Compact Leaders Summit. I I do a lot of speaking. I'm speaking to a totally new audience now. This financial community, and I'm doing a lot of financial summits and different boardroom meetings, et cetera, stuff at NYSE, the New York Stock Exchange – I'm very excited to be bringing this information. I mean, as we spoke about food and culturally how important it is to people, everybody cares about food. I'm not finding big blockades to listening to me. People want to know what's going on with their food supply. They want to understand this equation, and they're deeply concerned about climate change, most of them. Um, But they just hadn't made the connection between the two before. So it's really rewarding to be able to do that. Yes, we launched in a tricky time when the market's been a little bit up and down and up and down. But for us, because we just launched January 4th, It's been a great time to get all of our, you know, pillars in line. So we have a bunch of new news coming out. I'll say, I don't know when this podcast is going to air, but I'll say like two weeks from now, let's say like mid-March, we've got a press release and then like April 1st and April 15th. And we have so much news that's dropping, so much that's happening. So it's been a really good time for us. And, you know, just like the other Founders and entrepreneurs, we had to go and raise money to start this business. And, you know, nothing but love for our investors who were there at the drop of a hat, got behind the mission. I mean, so it's just been this overall extremely rewarding scenario. And we're getting traction and we're building in the marketplace. It's called AUM, Assets Under Management. We're building our assets under management. So, what that means is more and more people are investing. So, people are getting it. They're getting the message, they're getting why we're doing it. And these aren't regular vegans. You know, it's it's the next circle outside the inner circle. So I'm really really happy about this to be expanding our plant-based circle.
1: And what's your vision for um vegtech and this specific ETF and other new ideas I'm sure that you'll have um where do you see all of this ideally going in the next few years?
2: Yeah. Well, um, you know, I mentioned secular trend. So secular trends happen in the public market. So we are first the only ones to market with an ETF where we are making that connection between the food supply system and our environment, replacing animals for a sustainable food system. So that's it. That's what we're doing. And we're the only ones doing it. And we know that that's a huge secular trend. So I expect VegTech ETF, ticker v to really grow. And that's our goal there. You know, this huge fund, of course, we want to get to be a billion dollar fund, you know, so we've got some work to do, but, uh, you know, we really want to grow that, but we have other products that are coming out. I'll continue to do as much public speaking as I can. And I think we're going to really grow a robust community around this. So again, I was speaking to Josh Tetrick we were talking about like, this is such a critical job to develop this public markets so that when these venture companies, Perfect Day, Just, maybe Meatless Farms, who knows, maybe Notco, Impossible Foods, when they go IPO, there is a developed market ready to receive them and carry the torch. So we see ourselves as a really important part of the timeline that is Plant-based entrepreneurship. You got to get all the way to IPO to the public markets, and then someone's got to catch you when you land to keep it going, and that's us.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, it's such an amazing thing that we we we've come this far that we can even have something like this, right? We 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 don't stop to to ever acknowledge that you know a few years ago this would have seemed absurd I know. as a concept. <laughs>
2: I know. I know. And I'll tell you, I love that you're like singing my song. Not only would this have seemed absurd to have, you know, a, a plant based innovation animal replacement ETF on the public markets that's trading and doing well, but that I'd be getting into all these financial closed door situations and people just like put their chin on their fist and listen to me with big wide eyes. I mean, they can't get enough. They really want to hear and understand they're investing for impact. They want to do legacy investing for their kids. They want to be part of the solution and they want to get it. So the timing couldn't be better.
1: So let's look a little further ahead. Um, Thanks to the work that you're doing, all the companies that are in um, your assets under management, all the in all the existing and new investors who are going to come to help support and grow this movement, which as, a, as we discussed earlier, which we're, we're at the very early innings of, um, and we kind of have a long way to go, but we're also sort of um, in a bit of a race against time, right? Climate mm-hmm. change is not slowing down. It's here. And we, as, as we work on replacements to destructive industries, we also have to contend with the impacts of climate change. And so, You know, let's just say the year 2050. Where do you see, um, where do you see the food system in 2050? Assuming trends continue the way they are now, with uh, developments both from a technological standpoint uh, when it comes to food, but also from this idea of uh, not just investors outside of the bubble, but everyday people shifting their mindset to what's possible with food when you do it right, when you undo the damage um, of, of relying on a system that we know is destructive. So where, where do you see 2050 and the food system then, thanks to all of this work?
2: I see in 2050, I think you said 2050, not 2030. I see in 2050 that animal agriculture is less than 50% of your plate, much, much less. So, um... I I say it'll be like 35%. um, And I think you'll see that, you know, 2050. So my lifetime, you'll see that um, animal agriculture takes a minority position on your plate. And then ultimately, it will go the way of smoking. People will say like, gosh, you know, why are you taking my trees so that you can do that when you could easily have cultivated meat, and, you know, why are you wasting these resources? So I think there'll be a lot of social pressure to not participate in animal agriculture and it will be sort of looked down upon. Um, I see that people won't even think about it It'll be like the iPhone. They won't, let's, what are we now? 2022? Oh my God. 2050? People won't even think about it. Walter Robb, the former co-CEO of Whole Foods was on my show, Plant-Based Business Hour. And he said that in his 40 years of working in food, he'd never seen an adoption curve like the one with plant-based consumption. And he um, attributes that to the same pace as our adoption curve with digitization. And I think it will be the same. I think I think, let's see, 2035, people will be like, well, of course, it's, you know, plant-based night every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. I mean, I just, it very soon, and I almost see it now, it will be just, and of course, one day I have a burger and one day I have plant-based, and it will continue to go that way until it becomes lesser and lesser animal.
1: Well, thank you, Elizabeth. Really enjoyed this conversation with you. I'm very excited for what you're doing. It's such an important uh, initiative, and I think um, others are going to see what you're doing and and learn from it and try to improve on it. But you've you've you have the first mover advantage, and I think it's an important one. So, uh, thanks for your time today. This has been a very very enjoyable conversation for me.
2: Thank you for all you do. So happy to be here.
1: You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, all you have to do is subscribe to this show and rate and review it. To learn more about this podcast or my work, go to EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Thank you for listening.
0: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find
0: an agent at AmFam.com.